Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Please visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Leslie. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Leslie. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Hi, um, Thank you for having me speak, David. Um, it's always an honor, and I obviously I come here every week. I've come here for a very long time, and, um, you know, I work right down the street, and I walk down. This is my, this is my Friday. This is the end of my work week, so I always like my little walk down San Vicente, um takes me about 12 minutes to get here, and uh, I kind of regroup and end my week, and then I get a nice meeting in, and then I have then I have date night. I get I get about 10 minutes to socialize, and then I go on date night. Um, Bobby gives me a little time because he knows that me and my people talk a lot. Um, <laughs> we're very chatty, you know. Uh, and many of you know Bobby, and say hi to Bobby down in the car. So um, if you're new. Um, I want to welcome you to Overeaters Anonymous and tell you you're in the right place and um, you can stop eating. I think that's what I wanted to know. When I came to OA, I just did not know how I could stop eating compulsively and throwing up. I was throwing up. I had no idea. And, you know, I I think a lot now about um, as many elements that have to happen for you to, I think, come in and get it. You know, which to me are like surrender and willingness and desperation and hopelessness, you know, um, to take different actions. Because I always thought if I could just figure it out, then I would do it. Like, if I could get control of it, then it would be okay. But it's that whole lack of power is our dilemma, you know, that I actually don't have any control. And the more surrendered I've become, and, you know, I'm not always, but... It's definitely way better now. Things tend to go a lot smoother, you know, um, in all areas of my life, you know. So, anyway, if you're new, I hope that you you keep coming back. And, uh, you know, the big book tells us that we tell in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. And, and I do believe that um, when I sit in a meeting, um, what I like the most is when I can hear the magic and I can feel it in my heart. And that comes from identification, because if, if it was a lecture or a workshop or, you know, somebody telling you what to do, it, it would never work, you know. But I know that you know how I feel, and then I know I'm in the right place. And so I, uh, you know, I was, I was a really athletic kid, and, um, but God, I, I swear, I've always had that thing, like, if I were thinner, I'm going to be so much happier, you know. And I don't even know where that comes from, but... Um, I, I was thin as a kid and I, I, my mom was always, I have these memories of my mom always kind of on a diet and it's just very little like March. I think she's shrinking as time goes by, but she's only like 4'11 and maybe now she's like 4'10. But, uh, watching like Cher, like Sunny and Cher on Sunday night, laying on the floor with like ankle weights, like doing the, like the weights and talking about Cher's flat stomach and, (laughs) Um, which she did have a really flat stomach, but, uh, and I think like my brother was always a little overweight and, um, uh, I 
think she used to pay him if he lost weight, or I, I can't even remember. And I was really athletic. Like, I I swam, I had a horse, I showed horses, and then I became a gymnast. And, you know, you all know about those gymnasts and dancers and all those all those athletic people, you know, they're all full of eating disorders. But uh, I, um, I can remember, though, going on diets, like when we were in... Um, Probably when I was at Pally High. Like, I grew up here in Brentwood, and, um, you know, I come from a great family, you know. Uh, you know, I was given every opportunity. But, you know, the thing about me is that I have that thing, like, I, I, I do have that irritable, restless discontent. And I always am sure that no matter where I am, I should be someplace else. You know, it's, it's that thing that I think about now, which... I don't do it so much, but it's that happiness is just around the next corner. You know, if I could get that, I'd be happy. If I were thinner, I'll be happier. If I could lose five pounds, you know. And I remember when I was new in abstinence, I was walking down the street, and I thought, I'm going to pretend that I am happy right now, that I have everything, I, that I'm 10 pounds thinner or whatever it was right this minute so I can stop wasting my time, like, going to be happy at some time, you know. So uh, it was a good exercise. And wearing clothes that fit was another good one. But... Uh, so, you know, when we would go on diets, like um, when I was at Pally High, I would go on a diet. We were really into the Vidal Sassoon cleansing. There was a cleanse or something, and uh, there was a book. And it, they were kind of, you know, Sassoon was actually before his time. You know, I'm a hairdresser, and he was, you know, obviously very big in the hair world and revolutionized the hair world. But, that, you know, he's into Pilates and, like, juicing and all this stuff that's sort of popular now. But... We would read this book, him and Beverly wrote, and then we'd, we'd try to fast, or I don't know, we'd try to do whatever it was, and then we'd smoke pot, you know, which is, that's a full-on disaster, because we'd get home and we'd eat everything in sight, you know, and, uh, um, but it was this constant, like, I'm going to be on, on a diet, and there was also, cross-whites were big when I was in high school, you know, and um, I love drugs, I mean, I'm sober, um, 32 years, but I... I did a lot of drugs to keep my weight down, you know, and we would take crosswise and then the, the, you know, you would not eat a thing, just smoke a ton of cigarettes and then benefit was that you clean the house, you know, and so, um, uh, we, when I, when I started drinking and using really heavily, I, you know, I started probably at 11 and, um, not super heavy, but by the time I finished, you know, high school, I was, I was a full-blown alcoholic, you know, and uh, I was partying, and um, I think what, you know, what I remembered at the end of my drinking, I was um, at a place called Probe, a 36 Highland, it's now Blackman Cruise, a furniture store, and um, I was doing crystal meth, which, let me tell you, if you do some crystal meth, you'll be, like, dead thin, thin you know, um, you might lose your teeth, but... Um, uh, and I never ate. I was doing that, drinking, um, going to this place called Probe, dancing, fan dancing, and tambourine dancing with these drag queens. And um, I was having a gay old time. You know, I was having a really good time. But, I mean, a big part of that was that I I never ate. Like, I, I just, eating wasn't even in my budget. You know, I didn't go to the market. I didn't make meals. But then we would come down off all this speed and... I would just eat just probably a ton of sugar because you're all whacked out and sleep for days. And anyway, so so I ended up getting sober in 1985. And, um, you know, I'm forever grateful. You know, my grandfather got sober in 1952 and he 12-stepped me. And 
And, uh, you know, there's that magical thing in the book that talks about, well, it says an alcoholic can gain the trust of another instantly. And it's the same thing with an overeater, you know, because Overeaters Anonymous uses the big book. And it, it, it all translate, translates and goes across the board. But, you know, he got me to the rooms and I got sober. And um, I was 22 years old. And you know what happened to me? And I hear it time and time again. You know, once I got sober... Um, I could not stop eating. You know, my my overeating had been sort of, well, I was sort of undereating at the time, but I, it was sort of kept at bay. And so I could not stop eating. I was at AA meetings. If you've been to an AA meeting, there's a lot of food, there's a lot of snacks, there's a lot of candy. I knew exactly what meetings had what. I was like, had cups and big containers of it, and we're just mowing down on everything. And, and part of it is that, you know, I believe that um, a lot of what all of that did for me um, and the eating and the, the throwing up was that it got rid of all my feelings. You know, I didn't want to feel anything. So, so once I stopped drinking, now I was eating and then I, and I was smoking and so I quit smoking and then I started throwing up so I just it was like whack-a-mo you know it was just one thing kept popping up and so I um I, I learned from the groovy girls how to throw up uh, actually at Clancy's yard and so I thought well I'm going to do that you know that sounds awesome you know you can like I, I had also started school because I you know uh had, had I had a job, which was a miracle, and um, I mean, I'd always worked, but I was sort of a freelancer at the time, and so I got a, like a, a job, and I was going to school, and uh, and school brought up all those feelings of, I, I can't do it, I'm stupid, I'm inadequate, and um, so I would go to SMC on Tuesday, Thursday, um, and then I would come home from school, and I would do what we do, you know, I would close the blinds turn on the TV and just eat everything in the house, throw up, and then I'd brush my teeth and I'd go off to my AA meeting, you know. And um, and what it did was it really, like, sort of annihilated all those feelings of inadequacy and fear and just that, oh, just that awful stuff, which I have to say, you know, um, part of part of where I am in my life at, at you know, the amount of abstinence I have and, and and my age, and I am so overfeeling that way. Like, it, I'll have these bad, bad thoughts about myself. Like, you shouldn't do it, or you're going to look bad. And I'm like, shut up. You know, like, I, I'm done. You know, I, I don't even want it, to. It's a waste of my time. Like, I have wasted so much time beating myself up and thinking crappy things about myself that now it's like, oh, be quiet. You know, I, I don't even believe you anymore, you know, and I'm not subscribing to it anymore. I'm not wasting my life. And so, but that, that has also taken a really, really long time. Um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm eating, I'm throwing up and, and, you know, like, it's so funny how, it's so funny. I just saw one of my clients walk, I was walking down the street and I did this, Hair. And somebody pulled over and I couldn't, the glare was in my eye and she was like, hey, you need a ride? And I, I'm so glad I didn't say, oh, yeah, can you take me to the meeting? Because I thought it was somebody from the meeting. And then I realized it's my, one of my clients who I, like, I, she does not know I'm in the program. And, and somehow it's, it's way sexier to be an Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous, too. Um, so, and it's really not like that, you know, to be a bulimic, it's, it's, it's kind of repulsive to even 
to like Bobby. Sometimes he's like, I don't even understand the throwing up thing. Sometimes he's like, what's the bulimic? I'm like, it's, we eat and throw up. And he's like, why? I'm like, oh, forget it, you know. I'm like, well, there's anorexics, there's starving people, there's people who take laxatives. Like every now and then he looks so baffled by my conversation. It, he just doesn't even get it at all. Um, because uh, he's, he's not in these rooms, you know. Um, he can eat his food and then just move on with his night. <laughs> and uh, he can stop when he's full. Um, so I'm so glad I didn't tell my client I was going to the meeting. Um, anyway, so so I, I was throwing up. And, I mean, so many repulsive things happen when you throw up. Like, there's all that. It's very complicated. Like, I would, I would eat. I didn't throw up all the time, but I would... <laughs> eat and then that thing would happen which I can remember it so clearly like the the switch would flip and I think I'm going to throw up and once I had that thought then I would eat like crazy you know and so uh, and then it was that you know you had to find the right bathroom you know it's got to be like a private stall you got to pray the plumbing works you know and um uh and, and then I just, I felt so horrible about myself. You know, I hated myself so much. And I, I it took me a long time to learn, too, that fat is not a feeling. You know, like, because if you ever asked me how I felt, I'd say fat. You know, I, I spent years feeling fat. And uh, anyway, so, and I can remember one time going to New York to see my friend Julia. And um, I was in New York, and she was off at work. And I was in her, she had a great apartment. Um and I remember eating her haagen and, like, I, I ate it. And so I had to go to the store and get, or the little corner thing, get, get more. And then I got the new one, and then I ate it down to where I thought the other one was. But then I overshot it, so I just ate it all and then threw up and then went back. And, I mean, like, this is how I spent my day in New York. I was supposed to be, like, going to a play or something. And uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. And towards the end, I think the – I was at my mom's, you know, I was sober, so I'm going to meetings, and I'm doing well, except for this, and uh, I ended up, uh, I guess I was, my sponsor, I think, looked at me one day at the meeting and said, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I'm good, you know, and uh, I remember driving my car on the, I was on the 10, you know, you pop through the tunnel onto PCH, and I thought, if I lie to my sponsor, what's the point? You know, like, you can lie to your therapist. You can lie to anybody you want. But but really, I knew enough, and I was sober long enough to know that my sponsor really wanted nothing but the best for me. And if I was going to lie to her, there was no point. You know, I knew enough about rigorous honesty. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets. But my biggest fear was that if I told her, the gig was up, like my my little thing that I could do, which I felt like kept my weight down. But I was literally tortured by weight. Like I had one of those, I think we had like the day planner, the day runner, the thing, and you fill it with all the stuff. And every Monday I weighed myself, you know, and I wrote my weight in this square. And like if it was high, I felt like crap and I ate. And if it was low, I'd have to celebrate and eat, you know. And so it was, there were so many like torturous things about it that I, but I felt like I was keeping it under control. I I had weird eating habits. I don't think I ever ate breakfast. I don't think I ever drank anything but water. I mean, I just had weird, I had like a weird diet that I had formulated from years and years of I don't even know what, you know, and um, reading tons of diets, you know, and uh, 
Anyway, so I, I called my sponsor and I told her, and she said, I want you to call this woman, who I still know today, and I don't even know if she was even in OA. I don't, I don't even know. She doesn't go to OA, but she is sober, and so I called her, and she sent me to an OA meeting, and um, it was a Thursday night. It was the women's sexuality meeting, which was at a home in Brentwood, um, and I went, and uh, uh when I went to that meeting, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I totally identified in a way. Totally. I mean, uh, especially with the anorexics and bulimics, you know. And so, but I was like, I'm not going to stop throwing up. Like, And so I, I heard, just keep coming back, and you will eventually stop throwing up. So I was, like, willing to come back, but I wasn't really sure how it all worked. So I kept coming back, and... Um, I can remember, like, the, one of the last times I threw up was at my mom's. I was living at my mom's, and I threw up in, like, a bag and then tied it off and put it in the closet. And then you have to, like, take them out in the morning, which is truly disgusting. And uh, and then Thanksgiving came around in 1987. And on that Thanksgiving, I was supposed to go to a big AA party. And, you know... The alcoholics have tons of food. I mean, everybody has tons of food on Thanksgiving anyway. But I, I did not want to go. So I thought, well, I'll just stay home, which if I stayed home, I, I can tell you I was going to eat all day and throw up by myself. So I went with a girl I sponsored in AA um, to this party. And we said, why don't we go in the bathroom and let's just get on our knees and ask God to help us not to throw up and just have one plate of food. And so we went in the bathroom, we got on our knees, we said a little prayer to God, we got up, we ate one plate of food, we went back in the bathroom, we got on our knees, said another prayer, thanked God for the meal and help us be done. And then I didn't throw up, and that was my first day of abstinence. So that was um, November 26th of 1987. So this November, it'll be 30 years that I've been abstinent. And the only thing that I have done perfectly is I haven't thrown up, you know, and, um, but that's enough for me, you know, and, uh, and I think too, there's that misconception that I always get with people where everybody's looking for the perfect, you know, abstinence and food plan. And I, I want to do this, 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 and this. And I can tell you for, I, I had to have something that I could do for the long haul. You know, I, I've had much of, you know, I've been pregnant. I mean, I've had so many things happen in life that I have been have, had to be able to stay abstinent. So my food plan and the way I work my meals and all of that stuff has changed over time based on, you know, different health things or just, just different things. Um, and I was so afraid that I was going to stop throwing up and gain weight, you know, and I was told that I had to be willing to gain weight. And that was all. I just had to be willing. And I was going to the, because um, I have such fond memories of going to the um, Drug and Alcohol Center in West Hollywood. The meeting was at 8.30. Maybe it was 8.45. It was so late. Like, I'm in bed by 9. Um, anyway, well, if I'm not at a meeting. But, um, and we went there. We were all crazy. There were all these cute girls. And um, uh, we were all crazy. And, uh and I just kept coming back, you know, and um, I racked up some little bit of time. My food was all over the place, but I wasn't throwing up. And um, and then I and I, I'm a big believer, you know, if you're new, I, I you should get a couple things. One, you should have an abstinence date, and you should get a sponsor. 
and um, and go to regular meetings on regular nights. Like I don't I don't wake up today and wing it. Like, ooh, should I go to a meeting today or not? Like I go to the same meetings every week, you know. And I don't change my meeting schedule just because I don't like the meeting all of a sudden. You know, I, I mean, meetings go up and down. I found, and it's it's also you know. What am I giving? You know, especially now, like, what's my contribution to the meeting? It's not about what I can get from it, you know. And and then I I, I became secretary of the meeting, and I started sponsoring people. And I I thought, why why would they want me to sponsor them? I'm I feel like a fraud in a way. Like, I don't have it all together. I'm not the way that I want to be, you know. And um, but I can tell you, my abstinence changed a lot when I started working with others, you know. And it, it says in the big book, you know, that you should working with others. It, it's a, it's something that shouldn't be missed. You know, it's a bright spot in our lives. And uh, I have a big sun on mine in, in my book. And so we were all going to Cafe Figaro. We would, oh, God, we were so complicated. Everybody placed their orders. And there were so many substitutions and this and no dressing and this on the side. And, you know, they were like all the crazy OA girls. And, um, uh, but, you know, I know a lot of those girls now. You know, we're still friends. And, um and I, I threw my scale out. I don't have a scale. I don't weigh. I know some people weigh. It just all depends, you know, what your deal is. For me, it was, like, it was the worst thing ever. Like, I hated it. And so I just got rid of it. And um, uh, and I, I, I slowly got better, you know. And, and, you know, life happened. And I remember I got married. And when I was married... Um, I remember Stuart would come home sometime and he'd be like, where's my brownies? And I'm like, I threw them down the trash chute, you know, because I, I kind of learned if you have like a food that's calling to you, this was such a wonderful thing. Like I used to just maybe throw it in the trash, but I, I might take it out of the trash. And so I lived on the 12th floor on Ocean Avenue. I had this great rent control apartment. And um, so if something was calling me, I would just walk to the trash chute and throw it down, you know. And uh, so I'd throw his food away too, you know. And um uh, I kind of have to learn to stop doing that, but uh, but it, it is a successful thing. Like I have been at a meeting where somebody has gone, I have a loaf of bread in my car. I'm like, give it to me, you know, and then I throw it away, you know, or like let's get rid of it, you know, because I used to think I should give it to somebody who needs it, you know, um, don't waste it. So uh, you know, uh, when I got pregnant, I think um, like my relationship with my body changed so much um, because I got weighed because they weigh you when you're pregnant, period. You know, there's not really a lot you can say. And I had this great doctor at the time who, she was really great. She never made us weigh at the doctor. Now, I cannot tell you the battles I have had at the doctor, you know. All, like, because I've had cancer, so I got oncology, and there's all these different things where sometimes you can't say, I don't want to weigh. Sometimes I turn my back, and then they mutter the number under their breath. You know, there's there's all all sorts of things. I mean, one time I, I got life insurance, and the guy said, okay, let's take your weight, and out of, like, a paper bag, he pulled this, like, dilapidated scale and put it in my living room, and I was like, I swear, I was like, no. I said, I don't want to know what I weigh, but then they hand you the piece of paper with it written on it, so... Anyway, so sometimes you can't get around it. But um, when I was new, especially, it worked very well for me. Because the less I thought about my body, the better. You know what I mean? Like, I, I had to not think about myself. And, and I had to wear clothes that fit or were kind of loose. Because if I wore something that I wedged myself in, I would end up suicidal by the end of the day. You know, and... Uh, 
Anyway, so when I was pregnant, I, I just remember thinking, like, my body is not for me to just mold and manipulate into what I think it should be. It's kind of up to God, you know, and it's got a different purpose. And um, uh, I had a, a much bigger appreciation for myself, you know, and and for, like, I don't know what food was and what food did and what the body did. And, and it made me let go of a lot of things, you know, which was really, really great. And, um, you know, I ended up getting divorced and, oh my God, when I got divorced, it was, uh, it was the, it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. And, um, you know, there have been so many bad things that have happened to me where I can't escape my feelings, nor at this point do I want to, because I have learned that, um, feelings won't kill me, you know, and, and when I got divorced, I, it was so painful, and it just didn't make sense, and I didn't want to be a single mother. I mean, he was out by the time she was one, so um, I was a single mother. And you know what? I've done a really good job, because my daughter is amazing, and um, she would agree if she were here. <laughs> like, we're really good friends. Even though I hated her for a long time. She was such a pain in the butt. But um, I didn't hate her, but she was problematic um, and very contrary. But... Um, you know what, I just think that God, either I believe in God or I don't. I think that's, you know, God either is or God isn't. So I'm, I can only say from hindsight and having the gift of lots of years that I can look back and know that everything happened exactly the way it was supposed to, even though it didn't make sense at the time, because we definitely are not supposed to be married, but she's amazing, you know, and, and it happened the way it was supposed to. And being a single mother made me so much stronger because I'm a quitter, you know. I don't know about you, but I'm like I'm a strong starter. I especially want all the outfits and things that like you get to begin. And but I, I it's like I, I, I want to wake up and speak French. I don't want to take a French class. I just want to speak French. And that's what I'm like. So I, I want to quit. And my sponsor at the time was so tough on me because I would be like, I'm quitting parenting. You know, um, I quit. I, I can't do it. It's too much for me. And she, she was she was hard on me, you know, and uh God, she got down on me a couple times because there's no there's no quitting. You know, it was my job, and and um, she was pretty harsh with me. One time she got she yelled at me in the car, and uh, I was crying, and I was like, <gasps> I had to pull my car over. And the next day when I called her, because um, I always call. The one thing about sponsorship is I have learned to. Uh, I, I think sponsorship really only works, um, like, for me, if I'm willing, you know. And if I'm willing, I'm going to take her direction. And if not, I'll, I'm, I should get a sponsor that I want their direction. And um, I remember when I called Mary in the next day, and I, I was like, she said, I am so glad you called me because I know you hate me, and I know you're mad at me, but I love you, and I know you can do it. So I'm going to believe in you more than you can believe in yourself. And... Um, and boy, did she ever, she helped me, you know, so, because sometimes the things that piss me off the most are the things that are the most true about myself, and that's, I believe, like, that's sort of my job as a sponsor is, you know, I'm not your mother, and I'm not your buddy, and, um, you know, it's serious stuff that happens in here. It's life or death, you know, and so uh, it's my job to tell people the truth and to be the unfavorable one. You always know when you're going to give somebody a direction, and there's that oh, cricket silence on the phone, you know. <laughs> 
And um, and that's why I, you can't sponsor your friends. You know what I mean? That's why you can't. It, it, I'm detached from it. I just I'm just moving you kind of the direction that I was moved. And 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 I believe that we are here to have a spiritual experience. You know, the the big book talks about that. I've thought a lot about it lately, you know, um, to have a spiritual experience and um, talks about it in, in the very beginning of the book. And, um, and that's what's happened to me. Like, my whole thinking has been rearranged. You know, who I used to be and what I thought was right is was not right, you know. And... Uh, I'm really grateful for good sponsorship. You know, I've always been honest with my sponsor, and I've always followed direction and take, taken actions that I didn't believe in. And my life, for whatever reason, and it's one of those things where you can't even explain. Like, the 12 steps, you know, uh, have changed me. And taking the actions I've taken over the years have changed me. And I, I don't even know why like I don't know why you know my sponsor had four things that she told us always to do which I still do today you know which were to be on time to keep your commitments um three is to act better than you feel and four is to treat people with love and kindness whether they deserve it or not and um uh she also had this little caveat when all else fails just slap on some lipstick and keep moving your feet you know um uh which basically came from when her husband died, and, and she just kept moving forward, you know. And I, I thought there's things that I do daily now that I know contribute to the life I have. Like, I get up in the morning, I roll straight out of bed, I don't even touch the ground, and I just say, God help me on my knees. And then I usually am up before Bobby, and I close the door, and I go out and feed the cats, and then I sit down, I write a gratitude list, and my gratitude list is always... Um, it's just one word. I write it. He calls it my spy book because um, I write in this, um, I like thick paper, no lines. I write in a really great pencil. And um, and it's just one word, you know, like AA, sober, uh, meetings, OA, abstinent, body, health, eyes, vision, you know, family. I mean, it's one word. It takes not a lot of time. And then I... I, like today, I read the 24-hour day book. I read the OA reader, and then I read uh, part of the big book. Because um, one of my readers said, you know, have we read the big book lately? Maybe we should start at the beginning. So if you haven't read the big book lately, start at the beginning and have a new experience. Because every now and then I read something and go, that was not in there before, you know. And uh, I'm like, wow, that's amazing, you know. So it's always it's always new and different. And, uh, and then when Bobby gets up, then... We've also, we drink coffee during this whole thing, then we meditate, and um, I just think meditation is so awesome, and if you don't meditate, I can suggest that you can set a timer for one minute and just breathe for one minute, and it's, that's an easy thing to do, and then, you know, we've upped our time over, over the course of time, but I can say that I do do it every day, and I think it, it, it and there's a lot of, show me what you'll have me be, thy will not my be done, and it sets the tone for the day, you know, so I can go out because I believe, I mean, you were just asking me if I, if I like my clients. Um, I've been, I've been, I do hair. I've been doing hair for 35 years, and um, I do like them. But I do believe also that it's my job to go out and uh, be an example. Thank you. Um, because people are watching you, you know, uh, like people that don't know I'm in the program. You know, if something comes up and I choose to break my um, 
anonymity because uh, I don't just blast it out to everybody I'm in the program. I just don't. That's not me. And a lot of people at work, a lot of my clients don't know for sure. But if some, something's happening with somebody's daughter, you know, they're anorexic, bulimic, I get that a lot. And then I'll tell them, you know, people watch you and they watch how you act and they watch how you conduct yourself. And and that I also just think my job is to be of service. Like, so at work, God is my employer and I'm there to be of maximum service. And um, when I do that stuff in the morning, my day goes better, you know. And the key is that I cannot touch my phone. I cannot, like, check my mail, you know, go on Instagram, because that's like a wormhole, you know. And once I get go down there, it's hard to come back from it. And I, I heard it said, too, you know, I mean, we do all these things in our day. Like, why can't I give, you know, God and the program and um, prayer meditation, you know, 10, 15 minutes in the morning, a small price to pay for the, you know, the blessings I've been given. Um, and so, anyway, so so I'm, I'm trying very hard to, these days, to live in the moment. You know, I um, it's funny, when I sit in this meeting sometime, you know, I had cancer in 2010, and I have this really rare kind of eye cancer um, called ocular melanoma, and, and um, you know, I had radiation and all this stuff, and, and uh really painful things. I do believe pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth, you know, and not that I wish pain or cancer on anybody, but eventually if you stick around for a long time, stuff happens, you know, and, um, and, uh, that has made me grow so much because I was so afraid and there were so many unknowns and, and, um, you know, I think I read on acceptance today, which I'm, I love, acceptance because if I'm in acceptance you know acceptance is the answer to all of our problems you know when I find some person place or thing uh, unacceptable to me I can find no peace until I accept that person place or thing exactly as it's supposed to be at this moment you know nothing happens in God's world by mistake and so um, I think about that a lot so I'm either in God's will or I'm not, but there, if my life isn't a mistake, then there are no mistakes, and so when I had cancer, I, m- I remember when they told me I was going to lose my vision, and I was like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, Mm-mm. and uh, she was like, oh, people do fine with one good eye and one so-so eye, you know, that's the motto of her jewel sign, and I was like, that is harsh, man, and you know what, I don't see very well out of one of my eyes, and when I, when I sit in this room, when the lighting's, like the glare, there's something about it I have a hard time seeing facing this. I can see you guys pretty well, but I see it all out of my left eye. I don't really see out of my right eye, and, um, but I think because my eye doesn't look wonky, people assume I can see. Like, I don't really share this at work while I'm cutting your hair, you know? And, uh, <laughs> Uh, nobody, nobody really wants to hear that. They're one-eyed hairdresser. Anyway, uh, and I, my, like, I can see somewhat, but I have like no color in that eye anymore. I have no color vision. But uh, anyway, and and so I grew a lot spiritually through that whole thing. You know, um, as terrifying as it was, it did something to me, which I guess nothing else would have done it. You know, and. Uh, and, and right before that, I think my dad's girlfriend died of Alzheimer's, and I would show up and visit her, and that's, you know, if any of you have done that, that's sad and depressing, and just, I'd cry in my car on the way home, and then I, my sponsor started to get dementia and went into a home, and I kept wanting to tell her I had cancer, but she'd be like, she couldn't even remember my name, you know, and so, you know, I, I had to start talking to somebody else at that time, and I, that's my current sponsor, and, um, 
But I remember thinking, I want Miriam back. Like, I want her back. I want her to give me those words of wisdom. But you know what? She's not coming back. I mean, now she's definitely not coming back. But, um, you know, she, she, that's, that time of my life has ended. And, and, and that's where I really got, like, it's my job to pass on what's been so freely given to me. So I would do her a huge disservice if I didn't pass on all the great lessons she taught me, which is what I try to do, and keep things simple in the way it was delivered to me. And, um, you know, like I said, there was a cancer thing, and that was just that was just rough. Um, but the one thing it did was it made me move so much slower in the universe because I couldn't see. So um, I, uh, I, I, I realized that having a to-do list and multitasking and getting stuff done really wasn't important because my life went fine when I wasn't doing stuff. Everything seemed to get done. And I, got a, I prayed a lot more and I meditated a lot more and I would constantly like take all my problems, wrap them in a little bundle, and then I'd figuratively put them in the palm of God's hands. Like that was my big thing. Or I would say prayers and I would see like, like prayers are like the links in a chain that link you to God. Or, you know, my prayers are like incense that slowly walks up to God. And I, I would think a lot like I'm going to just lean in today. So there were so many things that helped me. And when I read spiritual things, I always locked into those things. It would tie me to God's power, you know, and I believe that all you have to do is ask for the power. It's there. You just have to seek and you'll find it. It's it's not, you know, it's like grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's not exclusive to anybody. It's yours, you know, and that's what helped me with my my food obsession, my body, my, you know, all that stuff. And, um, uh, you know, and then. I'll just say quickly, and then when, when my then there was this whole grief period when my da- daughter's boyfriend was killed, Max. You know, it's funny when I came down here tonight, I looked at my clock at work and it was 4:44. Which every time I see a four, I say hi to Max. So because um, his number was four, and he was a lacrosse player, his MVP. He was an amazing kid, and he died on 11/11/11 on sunset in a car accident, and. Um, that was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life because cancer I could fight, cancer I could change my attitude, cancer I could sort of pave the way for other people and be funny about it and, you know, roll it off. But when somebody dies, you know, it's, it's grieving is sad and weird and, and that was especially tragic and I would just think about it and feel like I was going to throw up. And, um, and it, my daughter sort of untethered from the universe and um, Bobby and I just talked about it all the time and, and I think um, it made me understand that, well, I mean, there's birth and there's death. You know, there's two parts of this life. And, you know, I think, like, like Overeaters Anonymous and living this program is what am I going to do with all time in between? You know, we live one day at a time. So what am I going to do for one day to improve this day and to do something for others and all of that stuff? And And, you know, that sadness, you know, has alleviated a lot but it's not that it's ever gone and and we we think about I think about them a lot you know and um but I've learned that um I'm not afraid when people have somebody die or when somebody's dying which I'm I'm happy for because it's made me more comfortable in that in that world and um I think anything I've gone through is then the purpose is so I can turn around help others you know I'm uh, you know, and, and, and I'll just say my, my life today as far as Overeaters Anonymous and food is, you know, every day I get up and I, I do this stuff in the morning, I, um, 
I'm grateful for my body. I'm grateful for the strength that it has, that I can walk, that I, you know, that I can see. And um, I plan my meals. You know, I don't eat perfectly. But the thing is, is that I can eat a meal now. And if it's not so great, I can close the door on it. And then there's another meal coming. You know, if there's a bad one, I don't have to wait till Monday to start my diet or start over. And, you know, I can just live my life in between those meals. And and that every now and then I have that feeling of that compulsion that comes over me. And it's scary, but I know exactly what to do. I can read literature. I can make a phone call. I can have a plan. I can pray before I eat. Like, I know the tools I can do which will alleviate it. And But it's... I can't stay accidental on yesterday's program. It's what I do today, you know, and that's why all we do is live one day at a time, and we stay accidental one day at a time, one meal at a time, with God's help and the help, the power that's in these rooms, because that's where the power is, you know, and that's what I want. I want that power, that serenity, and that freedom, and that's why I keep coming back. So if you're new, keep coming back, and thanks for having me share.